The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. He said, This I say to you, that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, it's a spiritual principle, not only in God's book, but also uh, we know this from nature. I, I really learned this lesson. I wasn't raised a farmer. may surprise some of y'all. Hmm. Really? No, I'm serious. I was a city boy. Yeah. But I went, when, I went, when I went to Africa, uh, what I discovered is they would harvest their rice. And uh, every meal we eat in Africa is, starts with a bowl of rice. And so it is their substance day by day. And so every year they will plant their rice, they will harvest their rice, and they will put it in these big bags, uh, sacks, in their huts. And here's the thing. They can eat all of it if they want to. And they could be full beyond their imaginations every day. But when it came time for the next harvest time, they would not have seed to plant for the next harvest. Hmm. And so there is this, I don't know, I try to imagine, there is this reasonable amount that you eat and then there has to be something beyond that that you're willing to plant. But when you plant it in the ground, you can't eat it. But it is the seed for the next harvest. And so the truth is you've got to find the balance in there. And the reality is if you can sacrifice today what you could eat and plant it theoretically tomorrow, someday it's going to be more than what you ate that day. Hmm. But if you eat most of your rice and only have a little to plant, you're going to go hungry. But if you make a sacrifice and you'll be and if you are bountiful in your sowing instead of eating it today, to take the step of faith and sacrifice to say no, I will plant this. If you will do that, if you are a bountiful sower and not a bountiful eater, you will have more food in the end. So this is a, a truth that the Apostle Paul was teaching to the Corinthians and is a spiritual truth for us today. I have a story from our church After I'd been here two years, and so that would have been 15 years ago, we started a process of looking towards the future. Fifteen years ago, 2001, we elected a group of people, and some of them are sitting in this room, that we called our strategic planning team. And we said, what is it that God would lead us to do 
to take us to the next level. And um, I don't remember how long this team met. There were six individuals. Uh, maybe a year. I know the report came out in 2002. And there were several things, practical things, for us to take it to the next level. If you're sitting in the balcony this morning, the balcony was part of that. In fact, if you look at the ground floor, it's pretty full this morning. There, there was a time that we said, you know what, we cannot take it to the next level unless we provide more space. And so we voted to build a balcony. We, we voted to hire a children's minister because we knew our children's ministry needed to be taken to the next level. We hired, part of the, the proposal, we hired a music intern. Do you know who the first music intern was in our church? Oh, he's back, Shane Stover. Now, he's been to the wilderness since then. <laughs> Shane's mother's in the crowd this morning. Thank you. No, no, I'm joking. Uh, the church sign out front and the signage in the church. There were a number of things, and there may be things that I don't even remember that came out of that. One of the things I vividly remember is those things that we talked about adding accumulated, just those things, about $100,000 as I remember. And I, if you were here about 14 years ago, you realized that we paid for those, all of those things in that one year out of our budget. And we kind of came to the end and we went, huh, how did we add $100,000 to the budget and pay for that? Hmm. It was God's provision. But maybe the greatest step of faith that came out of the, the strategic planning team of 15 years ago was the Family Life Center. Now, I want you to think about this with me this morning. In fact, it was several years before we started that project because we've, just, we've been in the building for 10 and a half years. There was a year to build it, and so you know it pushes back about 12 years. That building... How many of y'all know your pastor's cheap? I mean like cheap. I'm not talking about frugal, just cheap. That boy, anybody, anybody seen what I drive? You think that, no, that boy's cheap. Do you know I don't have air conditioning in my vehicle? It's really only bad in the summer though because the heater works in the winter. Anyhow, anyhow, that's not the point. That building, when we took it to the architect and the builders, the value of it, $1.8 million. Like, oh my. How does the church take what we presently do and pay for a building worth $1.8 million? In fact, our original plan is we would take 15 years to hopefully pay for that building. The initial loan was about $1.6 million. And we started our first Giving to Grow campaign over those five years. And this is what we asked God's people to do. We said, we're asking you to give above and beyond your tithe to pay for that loan, $1.6 million. 
we want you to tithe because the tithe supports the local church and what we're presently doing. But above and beyond that, we need you to give so that we can retire a $1.6 million debt. Um, I talked about sowing bountifully because that's what we ask God's people to do. We want, we want you to take what you could spend on yourself, not your tithe, but above and beyond that, and we ask you to give sacrificially so that we can retire a $1.6 million debt. Do you know why? Because, you know, that building and really all that I talked about in the strategic planning team was more so about the future than it was the present. We were doing all right. But it was about the future of our church. And there were some things that we said, no, we've, we've got to get these done. Otherwise, we're going to begin to go backwards as a church. And that building was, I think, the biggest of those steps. It was not so much about the present as it was about the future. And it would require sowing bountifully. Hmm. I looked at the statistics of the last 15 years from 2001 to 2015 which is the last numbers I have do you know what happened in our church as we have almost retired that debt what happened in our in our giving our ties to the church budget in the last 15 years now, if I didn't find these good results, I probably wouldn't announce it. But what I saw, I went, wow. And I plugged it in my calculator. The tithes, the undesignated giving to our church budget increased 66% in the last 15 years. Much of that in the midst of trying to retire a $1.6 million Debt. Is God good or what? And you know what? It comes down to this spiritual principle. No, it is about sowing bountifully. We could have played it safe 15 years ago and say, well, good grief, we just need to hold our own right here. And in essence, we could have taken our resources and we could have consumed them ourselves. But we would not be where we are today because we chose to sow bountifully and I'm here to report in the last 10 years of the Family Life Center that God's people have been faithful not only to give and increase their tithes but to give above and beyond that in the offering for the Family Life Center and today uh, we owe $220,000 of the $1.6 million Ten and a half years in. Um, and the challenge today is that we would make a commitment over the next two years, and I'm not even sure it will take us two years to retire that debt, to finish up what it was that God called us to do. I guess I share that story today because sometimes we forget, if you've been here all those years, where we've been and where we are today. And I ask you to think about where we would be today if we hadn't had the faith to sow bountifully
starting 15 years ago. And it encourages me to say that what God has begun, God will finish to His glory. There is a story also that is traced through the New Testament. And it is a story of sowing bountifully. It comes from the life and the ministry of Paul. And it is his offering for the Jerusalem saints. If we read the book of Acts, if we read Paul's letters and correspondence to the churches, we just see traces of this offering. The offering was for... uh, what I would call the mother church in Jerusalem. In fact, I have a map. My friend David Shaw is a visual learner, and I'm, I promise to show him a picture every week, okay? Ashley reads it him tonight out of a picture book. No, I'm, I'm just teasing. Uh, the mother church was in Jerusalem, and that's where it all started. The day of Pentecost, 5,000 people. Over the next two decades, though, to bring us to the time of Paul, um, there was famine, there was persecution. People lost their jobs because they were Christians. Um, Many people scattered. But the mother church was in distress. The Apostle Paul, during this time, is traveling and he is starting churches. Uh, in Galatia, Asia Minor, Macedonia, Achaia, which is Greece. You can kind of see this map, um, his journeys and the churches that he started. And he began, God laid it on his heart to say, no, we who have come from this mother church, we need to show an expression of encouragement and support for them. And so he began to, as he traveled the churches, he began to say, we need to take up an offering. And they, they agreed. And you can kind of find this through Acts, but more so in Paul's letters. That he, he shared this burden with them, and they agreed, church by church, that they would begin to collect. And so Paul makes his way through the churches, and then there comes a point later on in his last journey that he's writing letters and he's saying... I'm coming. <laughs> In fact, he was for the Corinthians, he was sending a letter to say, remember, I am coming and you've committed to take the offering and there's brothers with me from the other churches that are going to be traveling. It's going to be real embarrassing if we get there and you go, what offering are you talking about? Or we don't have anything. So you see this, particularly in his correspondence, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Paul challenged those churches to give above and beyond what they gave for their local church. And he encouraged them to send a representative with him as he took this offering to Jerusalem. His challenge was, and it's pretty clear when you begin to put the scriptures together, together to give above and beyond that which you give to your local church that we might give to this need. I got to thinking this week about what was it that Paul would have taught these churches 
about giving. And I began to pull scriptures together and just to, to see what was it. What would have been the pattern in Paul's churches that he taught them to give? And I think it's pretty clear when you put the scriptures together that Paul taught them to give their tithe to the local church to support its ministries and its ministers. And then also, in this case, if no other, to give offerings above and beyond that. Where would Paul have got his teaching from? Well, in the scripture we're about to read, he got it from the Lord, from Jesus. What did Jesus teach? Jesus taught, yes, we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, but we are to render to God the things that are God's. And Jesus, although he chided the Pharisees for their spirit, he affirmed the giving of the tithe. And so the Old Testament passage, pa pattern, principle, that Jesus would have affirmed, that Paul would have based his teaching on, Jesus would have taken that teaching of the Old Testament that they were to take the tithe to the temple to support its ministries and its ministers. And so Paul would have drawn from the teaching of Jesus, but he also would have drawn from the Old Testament Scriptures. Maybe we don't realize this, but even to the time of Paul, there is no New Testament Scriptures. The Old the the, the church was based upon the principles and the teachings of the Old Testament and the prophecies. And you know, even Philip, when he was leading the Ethiopian eunuch to faith in, in Christ, the Ethiopian brings up a scripture from the Old Testament, and it says that he began at that scripture. And the implication is he took the other scriptures of the Old Testament and he preached unto him Jesus. The scripture for the New Testament church was the Old Testament. And they took those principles and Paul would have taken those principles and he takes those principles which Jesus affirmed. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5.17 that he came not to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. And so the Old Testament was the precedent it was the pattern that the early church was based upon. And the Old Testament had taught them to tithe to the temple. And so one of the last chapters of the Old Testament says in Malachi 3.10, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And so Paul would have taken the teachings of Jesus and the Old Testament as the pattern for giving for the New Testament church. We see this in... Let me read three scriptures and I'm going to uh, wind this down. 1 Corinthians 9. I want to read three passages with his correspondence to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9 and following. 
Paul, in talking to them, says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out grain. So he takes an Old Testament principle and he brings it to the New Testament church. And he says, Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endured all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. And so Paul is teaching the church that it is, even though it is right as a minister of the gospel, as he will say, to live by the gospel, he said, as a church planter, as one who traveled around, he said, I'm not going to take that right, because I don't want it to be a hindrance to the gospel. And here's the Old Testament principle in verse 13. He says, Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? He's taking the Old Testament, which becomes the, the precedent, and then in turn, the New Testament principle. And finally, he says in verse 14, Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. This is Paul talking to Corinthians. And what he was teaching them is the Old Testament sets our precedent. And so you tithe, not anymore to the temple, you tithe to the local church to support its ministers and its ministries. But then he begins to talk about offerings, which are above and beyond that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he says, now concern, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, Now concerning the collection for the saints the Jerusalem church. As I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you also do. On the first day of the week, which was the day of worship Sunday, let each one of you lay aside something, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem but if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And so Paul is saying when you gather on the first day of the week, not only give your tithe, but I also, as God prospers you, to give something above and beyond that for this offering. Was Paul instructing them, take what you would normally do to support your church and give it to the Jerusalem church? No. Take care of your local church, but I'm asking you to go above and beyond that. And then finally... 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that I originally quoted starting in verse 1. Now actually, 1 Corinthians, I mean, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 are all about the offering to the Jerusalem saints. And I can't read all of that. You can read it sometime. But in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 1, he says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren with this letter lest your, our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect. 
that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you have previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. And here's the spiritual principle in verse 6. But this I say to you, I'm sorry, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the spiritual principle that he teaches the Corinthians is to sow bountifully. What he was asking was that they go above and beyond what they do to support their local church to give to this cause as God would so lead them. In fact, that's what he says in verse 7. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so the second principle that he teaches there is that you ask God what it is that you would want me to give to this gift that is above and beyond your normal tithes which support, support your local church. And so, about three months ago, I began to say to you as a church, we are finishing our second phase of giving to grow. We are 10 years. We were hopeful that we would retire the Family Life Center debt on the 10th anniversary. We did not. But God's people have been faithful to give. And I said, and I visited with the deacons about this. We, we got together. What do we want to do from here? We could put it in the budget. We, no. We need to challenge God's people as we have sowed bountifully for the last 15 years, we need to continue to do so. And today, and I've, I said, begin to pray. This is not, this is not your tithe. I've, I've, I've shown you that I think it's very clear in the Scripture that the New Testament church supported its local ministries and missions and ministers through their tithes just as they had done to the temple. This is above and beyond. And I said, you'll have to pray. Do I know as a pastor that God's people will be faithful? I do know. We will retire this debt. Uh, and many of you, including myself, we've continued to give. Even though we've kind of finished up our commitment time. Because it's, it's something we have to do. It is a family not just obligation, but it is something that is more about the future than it is the present. Because it's about the future of our church and taking what we could consume on ourselves right now and sowing that bountifully that God might use it for a greater harvest in the years to come. And so I asked you months ago, I said the last Sunday of August, if, let me just say this. <laughs> if this is the first Sunday you've visited our church, mm, I'm talking about money, yeah. 
somewhat apologize for that, but not really. This is just, this is just life. And this is about the future of our church. And uh, it's about, really, it's, it's not just about God having 10% or 12% or 13%. It's about God having all of us. And we talked about that last Sunday. Um, really, when we come to Christ, we say, no, 100% is yours. And you do with it what you, you tell me what to do with it. And so the scriptural principle is that the tithe, which is 10% of our gross income, of what God blesses us with, goes to the local church. And beyond that, there are offerings that are above and beyond that God leads us to. And God says, no, this is what I want you to do above and beyond. There's been all kinds of things in my life uh, that God has led me to do. It's not my tithe. I've had friends that have started churches, uh, other causes that God said, no, I want you to give sacrificially, to give, to sow bountifully. And so we pray and we ask God, what is it that you want us to give? Uh, and God says that he loves a cheerful giver. Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if the deacons would agree with this or not. If you give out of a sense of obligation or grudgingly, uh, the Baptist preacher is just going to say, God doesn't need your money then. It's not doing him any good. It's not doing you any good. But if you've diligently sought him, and ask Him what it was that you wanted to give. And you give it not out of necessity, but as a cheerful giver. Then it will be something that we sow bountifully that will reap a far greater harvest than the initial amount. And the promise in verse 8 is this. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Don't you love that? God said, and I, if you'll be faithful to give sacrificially and out of faith, to sow bountifully that which you could keep for yourself, He said, I will, and it really it echoes Malachi 3.10, that He will open the windows of heaven. And God said, I will bless you. And you know why He'll bless us? For what purpose? that you might have the resources for every good work. Even the blessing is not designed <laughs> to be consumed by you, but you just become a conduit that God is using to bless others through you. And uh, many of you know the joy of that kind of giving. The challenge for our church today is that we would be faithful to tithe, to support our churches, uh, ministries, missions. And I say this, ministers. Uh, brother, I'm sorry. Brother Ted and I visited 17 years ago 
and we visit about me coming, he promised my children pony rides. That was underhanded. <laughs> Anyhow, it worked. God called me here. I'll never forget it. I don't know why I remember standing in the laundry room at our house, our parsonage and post, and Ted Ivey calls me, and Hannah, I'm sure, answered the phone and said, it's Ted Ivey. And Ted, Ted said to me, I don't know if you remember this, he said, you know what? We've never talked salary. Oh. I said, all I ask is that the church take care of my family. And I don't care. And God has taken care of us. I mean, our testimony... I've shared this with y'all many times. There is, as God is my witness, there has not been a dollar I ever earned in my life in any way that I did not give God 10% of it. And let me tell you, we've had some lean years. We was po back in the day. And then we had children. And then we were really poor. And I tell some of those sad, sad stories to my children of how bad it was to pick up pecans in the church lawn just so we could have Christmas money. I mean, I lay it on thick. Oh, my. Just so we could go buy you a toy at the dollar store for Christmas, child. You know, God's been faithful. And, you know, quite honestly, part of the testimony of our life and the way God has blessed us. Y'all, I don't even understand this. The math does not work. But without any savings for college education, <gasps> we had four kids go through and graduate and are gainfully employed. They graduate from Texas A&M. And then they doubled down on dad just to test the faithfulness of God and just decided as a conspiracy against the father. Oh, no, we all just going to wait to get married until we all get out of A&M and just dump it all on dad all in one year. Well, let me tell you, we won. We beat them. And Amy and I haven't missed many meals. <laughs> We're doing all right. Uh, all of our bills are current. And we've come out the other side. And I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't really know how the math works. But I know how God works. And it's a testimony, quite honestly, to say, God, I will do whatever it is that you ask me to do. And then all I ask, is that you really just take care of me and my family and I'll be all right with that and so our challenge today is yes that we would give our tithe to the local church but I've asked you for the last three months to begin to pray for this day that we would make a commitment to say God what is it that you would call me to give above and beyond that that we might retire the Family Life Center debt and uh, I'm going to pray in just a minute. We're going to have a time of invitation. And then we're going to have an offering. We've made these cards available. They're at the end of your pews this morning. They've been out in the foyer. And you may have to nudge the person down the road from you to say, I need a card. If you're visiting with us, we're not expecting you to give. But if you're a part of the family, I've asked you to pray. It doesn't matter if it's $10 a month. The one person Jesus commended in the Bible for their giving was a widow who gave two mites and he said she gave more than anybody else it's not the amount it's the obedience and so what we ask you to do as you have prayed and as God lays it on your heart 
not in a grudging way, not out of a sense of obligation. To write your name, there's some other information there, and whether what your commitment is, whether it's weekly, ours is monthly, or it may be a one-time gift, and that's, there's an opportunity for that. And then what we'll ask, without any other fanfare, we'll just ask that as the, pat, the plates are passed, you'll just put that in the plate. And then, as you've made a commitment to God, that then you would just live that out to His glory and for His honor, that we might live out the spiritual principle of what Paul said when he said that he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So let it be in my life. Uh, Won't you stand? I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have our time of invitation. Byron and I will be at the front as you have other commitments to make. Uh, If you need to come to the altar to pray. If you need to take the step of of falling through on baptism, as Kimberly and Jamie have done today. If you need to come for the first time in your life to say, I need to surrender my life to Christ. Father, we thank you for uh, being the giver of our life and all that we have. And Father, we pray that as you have so blessed us and given us, and we acknowledge that, that then our life would be an offering back to you in all respects. And Father, we pray it all in Jesus' name.